Well, before I get started, it's good to be with you. Thanks for risking and coming to hear God's Word. No coronavirus is going to beat down the gospel. We're going to proclaim it if there were five people here. So I'm glad to see you here. Thanks for coming, and uh, may God protect us and protect our communities. Last week, we unpacked the fifth petition, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How comforting it is to know that our holy and heavenly Father forgives us, forgives our sins and removes our guilt because of the satisfaction of Christ. But dear saints, as you believe that God will forgive you when you sin, do you also believe that he will deliver you before you sin? We face the danger of settling in on the fifth petition and not progressing to the sixth petition. Luther said that we are simultaneously sinner and saint. But sometimes we are so preoccupied with being a sinner that we forget that we are also a saint. In our daily struggle with sin and constant pleading for forgiveness, we can easily and wrongly assume a fatalistic or a defeatist attitude towards temptation. We sometimes doubt the sufficiency of God's grace for our next temptation. It's like we're Eeyore, just going to do it again. Might as well not even try. Where is our confidence that God can and will deliver us from evil when we ask him? Do we pray the sixth petition believing that it won't really make much difference? We need to repent of that thinking and hope in God. Paul said in Romans 6 that our old self was crucified with Christ on the cross so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Brothers and sisters, though we still sin, we are no longer enslaved to it. The sixth petition is not wishful thinking. Now, watching 3D movies is so much better when you're wearing 3D glasses. We need to put our gospel glasses on as we face temptation. Paul said in Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Perhaps you're so defeated by some besetting sin that you just can't imagine being free from it. You keep confessing it, but seem to be not making much progress. Well, you're not alone in that. We need to pray the fifth petition, but then we need to move on and pray the sixth petition. So here's a, a simple outline. Our flesh is weak, our enemies are strong, our temptations are frequent, our Father is sovereign, so we pray the sixth petition with sincerity and urgency expecting our Father to deliver us. Number one, our flesh is weak. Our flesh is our fallen Adamic human nature with which we are born and therefore are naturally inclined to hate God and our neighbor and everybody else. 
Our flesh succumbs easily to temptation. We are naturally attracted to things like sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, anger, and drunkenness, and the like because of our flesh. Paul said, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So inside of every believer is a war. In all-out war, the evil desires of the flesh clashing with the holy desires of the Spirit. Isn't that a daily clash for you? Saints, we are dead in the water if we think our determination, grit, and willpower is enough to overcome temptation. Jesus declared, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That means nothing. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus was in Gethsemane with his disciples. The weight of God's wrath was bearing down on him. Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch with me. Christ knew the weakness of the flesh. He was watchful. He was ready for battle. He fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Filled with the Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, was watchful. He went to Peter, James, and John, who were sleeping. Jesus said to Peter, really to all three of them, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus watched and prayed. His disciples slept. How did the story unfold from there? Jesus received the strength of the spirit and was faithful and was obedient unto death on a cross and all the disciples left him and fled. Peter eventually denied him three times. The flesh is weak. When I go running in the mornings, I run south and, and I go on the sidewalks towards Twin Kiss. And just beyond Twin Kiss, there is an electronic billboard uh, just past and it flashes advertisements and silly little sayings. And sometimes it flashes, be awesome. What if I can't be awesome? Uh, That's all law, and that's no gospel. Very discouraging. It sometimes flashes this other little silly saying, you got this. You got this. No, I don't got this. My flesh is weak. I need to hear the message that God's got me. That's encouraging. We can grit our teeth. We can try to be awesome because we got this, but our flesh is weak and temptation is overwhelming. Number two, our enemies are strong. Consider three enemies and their strength. The devil is strong, the world is strong, and the desires of our flesh are strong. The devil is strong. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. And I wonder when, when Peter wrote, be watchful, if his mind reverted back to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was not watchful. Peter continued, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's scary imagery. Back in 1955, 
Harry Wyman and Vic Olivier went lion hunting in South Africa. They were standing 10 yards from a wounded lion awaiting its death when all of a sudden the lion charged. Wyman and Olivier fired their guns, hitting the the lion in the throat and in the chest, but the lion prevailed and sunk its fangs deep into Wyman's right arm. With Wyman in the jaws of the beast, Olivier shot the lion in the heart and freed Wyman, who was then a bloody mess. Don't mess with wounded and angry lions. Saints, we are forgiven, but maybe we're standing a little too close to a wounded and dying lion. Do we realize that in a split second, the devil's jaws could be clamping down on us? The devil is our strong enemy. Why stand there waiting to see what he can do? Now, most of us haven't been literally face-to-face with an angry and wounded lion, but every day we face spiritual forces of evil which are much, much, much stronger than we are. The jaws of a lion are much less threatening than the spiritual forces of evil trying to drag us to hell. The world is strong. Peter talks about the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire and the defilements of the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is very insightful when we consider the danger of the world. John wrote this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world entices us with its flashy but fleeting desires. The world and its illicit pleasures are passing away. Jesus talked about the world hating him and the world hating his disciples. Make no mistake, the world is our sworn enemy and to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. The desires of our flesh are strong. Paul warned the Romans, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, why did he write that? Because our flesh is our sworn enemy. Um, Because we have enemies, and one of our greatest enemies is us. Our flesh, that is. Do you remember the 80s band In Excess? How many remember the band In Excess? Devil inside, devil inside, every single one of us, the devil inside. Just consider that. The devil, the world, our flesh. Do you understand why we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Number three, our temptations are frequent. Temptations are everywhere. There are no temptation-free zones in all the world. Temptation is also recurrent. They just keep coming and keep coming. And we need to think about temptation carefully. You gotta stick with me on this part or you might think I'm heading into heresy zone. The word temptation can be understood in at least two different ways. A temptation can be an invitation from Satan to sin, from Satan who is trying to destroy us, 
or a temptation can be a trial or a test that God uses to strengthen our faith unto our salvation. There are two different senses in which we say this. So, does God ever tempt us? Well, clearly no if we mean, does God ever entice us to sin? Clearly not. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Case closed. But God does tempt us if by tempt we mean try or test our faith in order to strengthen our dependence on him and bolster our faith unto his glory and our greater good, which is entirely loving for our father to do. Scripture says that God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice Isaac. And that test served Abraham, and God used it to more fully reveal the gospel throughout redemptive history. Very important test. God tested Israel that they may not sin, Exodus 20, 20. Think of it this way. A caring basketball coach runs his players a lot. Running can be painful and nauseating, I know from personal experience. The players might think that their coach is a tyrant for driving them every practice to exhaustion and, and provoking them to anger for his own sadistic pleasure. However, in the fourth, game, uh, fourth quarter of the championship, the players, they still have gas in the tank. And all those exhausting drills make sense and are validated with their victory. The coach tested his players unto their greater strength, unto their victory. God tempts or tests us unto our greater strength and ultimately victory and salvation in Christ. The devil tempts us to sin, to pull us away from God, and to ultimately destroy us in our loss. And there is a big difference between those two things. And understanding this distinction between God's tests and the devil's solicitations to sin is helpful in understanding the sixth petition. More on that in a little bit. Zacharias, your sign, has helpfully noted this, quote, God tempts no one by soliciting and enticing him to sin or evil, but he tempts by trying us. But the devil, the world, and the flesh tempt us so as to entice and solicit us to sin for the purpose of drawing us from God, In this sense of the term, God tempts no man. Hence, when it is said that he tempted Abraham, Job, and David, we are to understand it to mean nothing more than a trial of their faith and constancy by afflictions and the cross. So he also, by the use of the same means, tries our faith. Hope, patience, love, and constancy. Whether we will also worship and serve him in afflictions. End of quote. Our Father brings us afflictions and hard times. Why? Because he loves us and is working to strengthen our dependence upon him, to bolster our faith, to preserve us unto eternal salvation, all to the glory of his marvelous grace. Saints, all of our afflictions and hard times will work for our salvation. God promises it. 
Romans 5 links suffering to God producing hope in us and God's love for us. Now, this truth might be somewhat unsettling for some of you. You might not like thinking about God bringing afflictions or hard times as tests for his children. And I admit that's tough to think about. Consider these three points of defense of this truth. First, and this one is is irrefutable, the cross. The cross. God ordained the worst possible afflictions and hard times for his own son. He sent his son to suffer. God ordained and caused the cross while not being responsible for the evil of the cross in order to bring about the glorification of his son and the redemption of his people. Aren't the afflictions of Christ sufficient evidence to prove God's sovereignty in suffering? Of course they are. But they're uncomfortable proof. God tested his son and his son prevailed unto his glory. Remember that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus Christ right into temptation. Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Father led the Son by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil so that when you and I face temptation, we would have the means to overcome evil. Can you see how God's tempting or testing can lead to indescribable good? The devil's enticement leads people away from God to their death. God's trials lead people closer to him to their eternal life. Now, so many Christians are simply confused about God's sovereignty. They're confused. They want his sovereignty over evil, but they don't want it working through evil. So number four, our father is sovereign. I said I'd give you three defenses for the father's uh, bringing afflictions to his people to strengthen and love them. The first is the cross. The second is Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That's a horrible evil. Horrible evil. That's suffering, intense suffering. But listen to how Joseph interpreted this horrible evil against him in Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. Joseph told his brothers who had sold him into slavery, as for you, you meant evil against me. No doubt. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Think about that carefully, very carefully. Joseph is a type of Christ. That's a taste of the gospel. Joseph's brothers committed horrible evil against him, yet through those difficult years of suffering, God was was graciously strengthening Joseph to endure so that deliverance and life would come for many. God sovereignly purposed Joseph's suffering and used it for good. God intended Joseph's brothers' slave trading for good. 
God upheld Joseph and used him to deliver many. God's sovereign preservation of Joseph ended with Joseph's rise to power and acclaim and comfort and provision for his brothers and their families, even even the little ones. God sovereignly worked through evil, yet he is not responsible for the evil. Third, Ephesians 1.11 says that God, quote, works all things according to the counsel of his will, end of quote. Now, we could say God doesn't bring affliction to his children. We could say that somehow God couldn't prevent those afflictions or temptations, but that would be to deny all kinds of scriptures and to also strip suffering of God's tender and good purpose for his children. Now, the term free will trips up a lot of Christians. Just think about this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, aren't we asking God to overcome our wills? To bring His kingdom to our hearts? To accomplish His will in our lives? To forgive us when we pursue our own will? And to lead us not into temptation where our will will choose evil, but to instead rescue us from evil. Is that not what we're asking our Father to do? Overcome my will. Don't leave me to my freedom. But give me freedom. The deliverance is His will, not our will. The Lord's prayer is of no effect if our Father is not absolutely sovereign and able to overcome our will to conform it to to His will in justification and also in sanctification. God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty compels us, brothers and sisters, to pray the sixth petition because our Father can and our Father will respond. Our flesh is weak, our enemies are strong, our temptations are frequent. Our Father is sovereign, so, number five, so, we pray the sixth petition with sincerity and urgency, expecting our Father to deliver us. We can't deliver ourselves from evil because our flesh is inclined to evil. Like my cousin Mike, who one time thought it'd be a good idea to run down a steep hill uh, in the woods uh, but, but only ran his face right into a combination of trees and rocks, breaking his glasses, if it's up to us, we will run recklessly right into evil. Only God, by His Spirit and His grace at work in us, can rescue us from evil, and that, brothers and sisters, is why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there are two big assumptions in the sixth petition. One is that the person praying wants to avoid temptation and and be delivered from evil. The desire is assumed, or else why are you praying that? Dr. Doriani comments, quote, the man or woman who is free from the guilt of sin also wants relief from its tyranny. 
The previous petition asks for release from the guilt and penalty of sin. This one seeks release from its power and corruption, end of quote. And Doriani there makes me think of Heidelberg 1. Not only has Jesus Christ fully paid for all the sins that I commit, he has also set me free from the power of the devil, or we could say the tyranny of the devil. We're asking to be rescued from the power of the devil. The, the second assumption is this. The one praying believes that God is faithful and can actually deliver them from evil. Why ask him if he can't do anything for you? Paul gave great hope to, to us weak and weary pilgrims in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Do we pray the sixth petition believing that our Father will guard us against the evil one? Do we believe as we pray? The, the first part of the sixth petition is a little like uh, Bilbo Baggins' birthday party speech where he, he told the onlooking hobbits, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And all of them are like looking, what? What did he just say? You really have to think about it. And after thinking about it, I'm still not sure I get what his point was, but they were very confused. Are you confused by the phrase, lead us not into temptation? That's kind of tripped me up in the past. It just is a weird phrase. So now apply what you've learned from point three earlier today to this. Commentators handle this part differently. But whatever the exact meaning is, various angles on the first part of this petition work. So stick with me here. God never, ever, 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 ever tempts or entices anyone to sin. And yet God does lead us into temptation, meaning tests or hard times, or he allows the devil to tempt. God sovereignly allowed Satan to go after Job. Do you know the book of Job? And yet through it all, what did God do? God sustained Job, graciously sustained Job, and worked it to Job's salvation. When you see Job in heaven, uh, and you're there with him enjoying all the pleasures of Christ, uh, try to remember to ask him if his afflictions on earth were worth it. If God does lead us into temptation, or testing, as the Spirit led Christ into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, the second part of the petition asks that our Father uphold us in the midst of temptation, deliver us from evil. Right there it is. We are also asking that God does not bring temptation to us to try or test our character and faithfulness beyond what we can bear. After all, our flesh is weak. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, if our Father providentially leads us into temptation as a test or even to be tempted by the evil one, we ask that he provide us a way to escape and that he would sustain us through it. He loves us, he cares about us. He's right there with us. Hendrickson gave this probable meaning of the sixth petition, quote, 
If it be thy will, do not permit us, weak as we are by nature and prone to sin, to enter into situations which in the natural course of events would expose us to temptation and fall, but whatever be thy way with us, deliver us from the evil one. End of quote. Whatever be thy way with us, Father, deliver us from the evil one. In other words, Father, please lead us away from any circumstances which will subject us to temptation. But if you lead us into temptation, not to entice us to evil, but to test our faith, protect us from evil by supplying the grace that we need to overcome. Is that not the essence of the prayer? James Boyce rephrased it like this. Keep us from wandering into paths where we will be tempted by the devil, but if he comes, keep us out of his clutches. Some situations in life expose us to great temptation. And knowing our great weakness, we are asking our Father to providentially direct us away from those situations in which temptation comes or, uh, or in which we might sin under the pressure, the problem is, brothers and sisters, is that we so often go looking for trouble. We welcome the battle to ourselves. There is much hope, much hope here for us, dear saints. Our Father will not allow temptations that are too much for us. But he will always provide a way of escape. He promises that. Now this assumes that the tests and temptations that do come to us, we can overcome with faith-filled prayer as God supplies us with his sufficient grace and the Holy Spirit to obey and to endure. We, we, we must not be fatalist or, or defeatist expecting to fall prey to every temptation that comes but must look to our Father with great trust and confidence that he will provide what we need in Christ to overcome temptation. This is what the Lord's Prayer asks for. Protect me, Father, and come through for me by rescuing me for evil. And, and whether evil there means evil or the evil one really makes no practical difference because what the devil plots against us is evil. And so I, I think the petition encompasses all evil, including the devil. Last year, Utah Highway Trooper Ruben Correa rescued an unconscious man from an oncoming train. It was dark in the morning hours, and the man's SUV was on the tracks, and the train was bearing down. Um, Trooper Correa had about 35 seconds to rescue the man, and he did with two seconds to spare as he, he pulls him, the unconscious man, from the, the train as it collided with the SUV and sent the SUV flying. Now, we might be tempted in that to think, if we don't know information, stinking drunk drivers. They're, he's ended up on the track, but that's actually not what happened at all. The man had a medical emergency, lost control of his vehicle, crashed through a fence, and ended up on the tracks. Correa saved the unconscious and innocent man from the oncoming train. And I think this is a good illustration. We are weak. We, we do find ourselves sometimes in, in circumstances that are too much for just us. They're emergencies. We didn't sin, but temptation is bearing down on us and it's coming strong and it's going to kill us. And so the sixth petition is praying, Father, the train of temptation is coming for me and I'm about to get railroaded, so please pull me out and rescue me so that I'm not obliterated. 
Now, God rescues people from their sins after they lost control and headed recklessly right into sin and made a royal mess of things. He rescues them from that. But God also pulls his weak and weary people out of harm's way before they head recklessly into sin. Are you asking your father to do that for you and trusting him to come through before you sin? Afflictions are part of life as are invitations, many invitations to sin, but we can pray that God does not lead us into something where we could potentially get railroaded by evil. Dr. Doriani helpfully explained, we pray that our Father will arrange our life that we can remain loyal to him. We do not look for a trouble-free life. Disciples face the tests that are common to mankind, but we do ask God to spare us from tests we cannot endure. When we ask God to deliver us from evil, we ask for deliverance from the traps of the evil one as well. Calvin said, quote, we are conscious of our weakness and desire to enjoy the protection of God that we may remain impregnable against all the assaults of Satan. Brothers and sisters, we can't overcome temptation if we're Eeyore. This will never work. But if we believe that our Father is, is our impregnable fortress and refuge in our time of need, if we run to Him for help, believing that His help is available for us and that He will give us His help, we will overcome more and more temptation as we trust in Him. We need Him. Calvin concluded that we have no strength for living a holy life except so far as we obtained it from God. Whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God deliver him, he will be constantly falling. Unless God deliver him, he will be constantly falling. The one who trusts in himself when facing temptation is like a toddler learning to ice skate. They are constantly falling. And this is why we don't need more self-esteem. We need more Christ-esteem. Self-esteem fails us miserably. A you-got-this mentality makes us constantly fall. We might foolishly assume that we can handle it. We can't. And the sooner we realize this, the sooner we go to God for help and dependence. Esteem yourself in temptation and you will get railroaded. Beware of any theology, beware of any philosophy which exalts you. Those who overcome temptations are those who know their weakness and inability, implore their father for assistance, and receive his deliverance by faith as they stand strong in the obedience by his spirit. To take stock in self, the, the self-esteem revolution of our culture and evangelical Christianity at large, and you will fall over and over and over and over again. It is a theology of God's sovereign and sufficient grace which sustains us in the battle. Our flesh is weak. Our enemies are strong. Our temptations are frequent. Our Father is sovereign. And so... We pray the sixth petition with sincerity and with urgency, excuse me, urgency, expecting our Father to deliver us. Let me bring it all together. 
Heidelberg 127 explains the sixth petition like this. In ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh, our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Wilt thou therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. Then your sinus gives us this helpful commentary which I think makes the sixth petition pretty clear. Quote, we therefore pray, number one, that God will not tempt us for the sake of trying us, if such be his will and pleasure, or if he does tempt us, that he will give us strength to endure the temptation. Number two, that he will not permit the devil or the world or the flesh to entice us to sin, or if he does permit us to be tempted, that he himself will be present with us that we may not fall into sin. And then your sinus adds this. This, therefore, is the true sense and meaning of this petition. Lead us not into temptation. Suffer us not to be tempted above that which we are able to bear. That's scripture. Neither permit the devil to tempt us in such a way that we may either sin or wholly fall from you. End of quote. This is just looking for our Father to come through for us, to be tenderly strong for us when we can't be strong, and he shows up and helps us. I think as we pray the sixth petition, we are praying for the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints. Last thought. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples. But you know what? He also prayed for you and he prayed for me. And do you know what he prayed? Do you know what he prayed? Listen to what Jesus prayed for you. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus prayed that for you. Will our Father answer his son's request? Was Jesus not praying the will of God? He was. Jesus prayed God's will. Is it not God's will to keep you, brothers and sisters, from the evil one? It is his will. We're just being called to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done. He rescue us from our sin. So then, how about we plead with our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then let's trust that our Father will. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for your grace and your gospel. We need this so much. This is such a relevant message and a, such a relevant petition. All of them are. This one is. We need this petition. We know you will forgive us for our sins. 
But I think sometimes we really struggle to believe that you will deliver us before we even go down that road. So I pray that you boost our faith this morning in the gospel that you have died for our sins, past, present, and future, but you also died to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your son so that we would have the Holy Spirit so that we could walk in gratitude in obedience to your law. And so I just ask that you do a work in your people today. Help them to move from the fifth petition to the sixth petition and to trust what the gospel will do for them in the next temptation. I pray it for me. I'm horrible at this. I'm so weak. We all are, God. We need you to come through for us to build our faith in your provision of grace in the moment of our temptation, your provision of the Holy Spirit in the moment when our afflictions come and we feel so weak that you will be strong. So help us to believe that, God, and thank you for your very clear, clear gospel. We love you. We ask that you provide for us and that you do indeed lead us not into temptation, but if you do, and that is your, your purpose for us, deliver us from evil in those moments that we may stand strong in affliction, stand strong against temptation, say no to the plots and schemes that are trying to destroy us from Satan, and say, I I have a father who is good to me. Therefore, I will say no. Help us to say no, God, for your glory. We love you. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the praise team will come up and we'll be able to respond in gratitude to God's provision of grace in his son.